Hello and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation from academic discussions happening in our journal to interviews with filmmakers and artists and global perspectives on health and medicine from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and to the humanities because life happens at the intersections. Hello, this is Brandy Skilache, the Editor-in-Chief of Medical Humanities, the journal, and I'm here today on the podcast with Victoria Hume, Director of the uh, Culture, Health and Wellbeing Alliance. Very much of a, a, a wonderful to have you on and a big welcome to you, Victoria. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. So I'm starting off, I just wanted to know if you could tell our listeners a bit more about what it means to be the director of Culture, Health and Wellbeing Alliance <laughs> and a, a little bit more. What is that, you know? So it's a it's a relatively new organization. Um, it brings together two pre-existing alliances. There used to be an alliance for arts, health and wellbeing and an alliance for uh, museums, health and wellbeing. Those are both national organizations. Um, this is in the UK, and they've come together to form this new alliance, which is, um, well, our strap line is that we're a national organization representing everyone who believes that cultural engagement and participation can transform our health and well-being. So essentially, it's about creative practice and cultural practice mm -hmm. and how those relate to health and well-being and how we can support that, the development of that work. That's fantastic. So uh, this is, of course, something that we talk about a lot at Medical Humanities, the journal, and was mm. also recently part of the Cultural Crossings of Care conference in Oslo, the importance of culture and that we make these assumptions. And of course, um, we are not a single homogeneous population, either in the UK or the US or, or anywhere else. So so that's fascinating to me. Can you say a bit more about what kind of projects you, you work on or promote? Well, actually, what you've just said kind of brings me to the, <laughs> to the hub of one of the things that we want to talk about over the next few months. Um, so when I talk about culture in the context of this organization, primarily that's come out of the cultural sector in the UK, by which I mean the arts and heritage. But mm -hmm. obviously, having worked in medical humanities and been in university spaces, culture to a sociologist or an anthropologist <laughs> means something completely different. Mm -hmm. um, and it means something different depending on which country you're in as well. So I, I want to, to start to address that kind of nexus because the work that's been done around the arts and heritage does actually cross into much bigger questions of cultural context and uh, cultural histories and how we identify within society. And it's sort of a, a good time for us to start thinking about that. So um, one of the things that we're building up to is a conference in March, March the 21st and 22nd, which I hope will be in Leeds. Um, and that's going to be a chance for us to look at this question of what culture means, which I know is an enormous question, <laughs> but it's mm -hmm. um, it's coming from this quite particular angle of um, these organizations and practitioners who work in the arts and cultural sectors mm -hmm. and how we can broaden that question. Right. And of course, I actually uh, worked for five years in museums as a public engagement specialist, meaning largely I was, it was a medical history museum though. So what you actually end up with are a lot of intersecting ideas about culture, mm. including um, it's a museum. So we have this idea of history and, and that that's incredibly important. At the same time, we were the museum was located in a very diverse population, so you had very poor uh, community members who didn't have a lot of education, and you had graduate students and postgraduate students, and so um, all of them kind of mixing in the same environment. So I think 
there's a lot of intersections here. And uh, when we're thinking about audiences, that, that becomes really critical. So would you say that the audience, so to speak, that you're working with, is this medical practitioners? Is this the public? Is it a mixture? Well, the organization that I run is set up as a sector support organization for the cultural sector. So it's funded by Arts Council England to be to support arts practitioners and arts organizations, primarily and heritage organizations. But in order to do that effectively in this area, we have to work very closely with partners in health, uh, which means that, yes, we do often end up working with general practitioners or um, in the acute sector with hospitals. A lot of our members, for example, will be um, managing arts programs in hospitals, or they might be a museum that offers a um, uh, an arts on prescription service to a local GP where their patients will be referred to the museum as, a, as part of the, the sort of move towards social prescribing. Could you say a bit more about social prescribing? Because I think that that's an unusual term that people are probably not going to be familiar with. Yeah, well, I think I suspect, at least in the UK, that people are going to get much more familiar with it over the next few months. So our new Secretary of State for Health, Matt Hancock, is um, placing himself very firmly behind the idea of social prescribing. Essentially, it means broadening the concept of what can be prescribed um, beyond a medicalized model. So it might be that when you go to your GP, you are referred on to a bridge club or a sports center or dance classes or gardening or any of these kind of social activities. And mm-hmm. the the research suggests that between 20 and 30% of GP visits are not really things that can be tackled through a purely medical route. And often the, co- mm-hmm. the underlying cause is a social one. So it's a way of addressing that and there have been arts on prescription schemes running across the UK for a number of years. And this is a bit of a chance for us to sort of make sure that that work becomes mainstreamed in a way that it hasn't thus far. Now, would you say, um, would this be, this is important to mental health or physical health, both a combination of things? I think um, often at the intersection between mental and physical health is where it's going to be most useful. So, um, Thus far, the arts on prescription schemes that we've seen have been focused on things like um, dementia or chronic conditions, or in some cases, loneliness, depression, anxiety. So areas where, yeah, it's hard to prise apart the psychological and physical into two distinct Mm -hmm. groups. Right. And about the arts themselves. So if you're prescribing art, um, Could you say a bit more about what that might look like? Would you be sending a patient to an art class, to a museum to see art? Does it contextualize in any way? It could be either of those things. And indeed, both of those models already exist in England. So um, in Gloucestershire, there's a GP called Simon Ofer who's been prescribing art classes for many years now for his patients. And he's seen an enormous reduction in the the attendance at his own surgery. And a lot of the data on this... um, can be found in a report that was published last year called Creative Health, which was the outcome of a uh, two-year process through an all-party parliamentary group for arts, health and well-being. And that really looked at these kind of important issues around how the cultural sector can kind of intersect with health in a way that's going to be useful for the public sector generally and also just broaden our sense of what health constitutes so that it ceases to be mm-hmm. something that's purely about pills crudely and becomes much more about a healthy society. Right. And of course, medical humanities and health humanities are both, um, sometimes people use health humanities instead of medical humanities for precisely that reason, that it, that is mm. sort of a broadening out of the term. Um, now, you so far, we've mostly been talking about the visual 
arts, but you did say that, for instance, dance classes might be recommended or does creative writing get involved in any way? Yes, any absolutely any form of cultural activity would be could and and would be part of this. So um, yes, there are a number of uh, really great models for dance in relation to health across the UK. Um, I keep talking about the UK. I ought to make it clear that we're we're actually funded to support work across England because both the health service and um, the the cultural sector is devolved across the UK so we work primarily across England but obviously we partner up with Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland wherever possible mm. um, but yeah going back to the point so there uh, yeah there are lots of models for dance in relation to conditions like Parkinson's um, and more precise projects that's been running for a while called Dance to Health which looks at falls prevention um, and again, it, it could be that, that people are working in a more generalized way with conditions that are a bit more amorphous, like depression and anxiety. And there's a big organization called The Reader that works a lot with literature. That's a national organization that is one of our um, partners within the Culture, Health and Wellbeing Alliance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really interesting. I, I want to get back to a question that we that I started off with, and I think you're sort of getting at in terms particularly of cultural histories is that we do have uh, arts and, and dance and writing, and they are all sort of influenced as well by particular historical context and cultural context. And I know that the UK is, of course, like the United States, quite diverse in its population, and there's been plenty of immigration and things like that. So at what what is the intersection of sort of culture, the way a sociologist might mean it, and culture, the way we might mean arts and culture. Um, what's the intersection there and how are you sort of working with those boundaries? It's such a complicated question, which is why I think we need <laughs> at least a conference to start answering it. But um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, so I guess from my personal perspective, it, it's partly to do with a lot of the conversations that are going on around, at the moment around cultural democracy. There's been a bit of a um, a kind of interesting exchange around that because the Arts Council has got behind this con this concept of cultural democracy, but on the other hand, people are sensitive to the idea that that might be being pulled into a different agenda um, and mainstreamed in a way that isn't quite uh, adhering to the original ideas behind the cultural democracy movement. So uh, without getting too enmeshed in all of that, it's uh, I guess it's ideas about making creative practice and cultural activity something that is by everybody and for everybody mm -hmm. rather than something that's crudely handed down from the top so it's the opposite of a kind of elitist idea of art okay so that uh, by so therefore by democracy of the arts it's it's it means not we're an elite institution and we're telling you this is what art is right so yeah it's much absolutely more, i see so that's the sort of democratic model and I guess I would think of it as being much more related to imagination and uh, the capacity to think outside of conventional boxes than it is to shoring up a kind of status quo in the way that we see with, for example, the statue of Cecil Rhodes or, you know, innumerable pieces of public art around the UK. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. And of course, part of my cultural question comes from the fact that you also participated in our December special issue coming from South Africa. And uh, obviously, there's all kinds of cultural things that feed into what medical humanities and health humanities means in South African context, as opposed to or in 
you know, contrast with the United States or the UK. So I was wondering, could you, uh, could we just take a moment and talk a little bit about that work as well? Yeah, very, very much so. And it's been a huge influence on the way that I'm now thinking about the Culture and Wellbeing Alliance as well. So, Your particular work in the journal um, uh, was, I thought, somewhat illuminating of, of where you're coming from. And so could you just say a bit more about that too? Sure. So um, the the article that I wrote, well, I wrote a couple of articles in the special issue, actually um, both <laughs> co-authored. And the, <laughs> um, one of them is kind of trying to trace the history a little bit of how the medical humanities has emerged in South Africa, which I realise is grossly presumptuous considering that I'm actually from the UK. Uh, we do try and um, kind of explain why we felt that our take on it might be useful, I guess. I was writing this mm. with a uh, actually a Canadian scholar who's also been based in South Africa and in the UK working in medical humanities. So we were interested to see what was happening in South Africa in relation to our own experiences in other countries and whether where there were differences and similarities, I guess. And one of the really striking things was how um, the medical humanities in South Africa is kind of moving into a already already much more kind of critically alert space, I think, than some of the, uh, if you like, some of the older traditions of medical humanities from the US and the UK. Mm-hmm. And that's partly to do with where medical humanities is as a field and the emergence of critical medical humanities. And it's also partly to do with the South African context and a sort of uh, um, an alertness to the... Um, I guess, colonial complexities of medicine in the country and how obvious it is that certain types of medicine have been sidelined um, and certain types have been privileged, mm-hmm. which means that medical humanities in this context is always just going to come from that perspective. Right. Um, and social justice has always, I think, been an important part of medical humanities. For our listeners, the December issue is available online and there are actually a number <clears throat> of open access articles Two in this issue, so we encourage you to check that out. Um, I guess I will I will finish up our conversation today, Victoria, just by asking: Do you think um, do you think there's a, a place where these two interests will dovetail? Will there be a critically alert prescribing of art, for instance? Um, do you see those two things coming together? Yeah, I mean, I think they already do come together. I think there's a huge connection, and it's certainly um, lots of medical humanities practitioners and researchers have worked with artists and the arts for many years and certainly the Centre for Medical Humanities, now the Institute for Medical Humanities in Durham is a great example of that and the two, mm-hmm. that's always been very interwoven with the world of community arts and uh, participatory arts so I, I don't really see the two as separate, I think there's a lot that, that we can now learn from the developments in medical mm-hmm. humanities thinking and I think it'll help us to frame our arguments in um, the cultural and creative world, if you like. Um, and I'd, equally, I feel as if there's some work to be done um, within the Culture and Mo- Culture Health and Wellbeing Alliance to try and bring practice and research closer together. And that's partly research mm-hmm. about the impacts of the work, but it's also partly the kind of uh, critical research that's happening within medical and health humanities. And I think there's some really valuable ground to explore there. So I'm hoping that we'll do Absolutely. some work with that over the next few months. That's fantastic. And I think I'm seeing this in other other areas as well, like um, in a number of conferences are starting to pull things together, too. So, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And again, this is Medical Humanities Podcast. Please join us again in the future. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Stay in touch by reading the journal or our blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We're also on Twitter at medhams underscore BMJ 
or find us on Facebook. Until next time.